you can open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And just to give you a little bit of review last time, Paul was talking about, in the beginning of the chapter, about how a justified or a holy God can justify sinners. And he talked a little bit about himself. He talked a little bit about wanting to go to Rome. And we know that he wrote this letter to the Romans while he was in Corinth, which Corinth probably wasn't such a good example in the first place. <laughs> but <clears throat> he wrote this. And uh, to just review a little bit, verse 16 and 17 say, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jews first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, I, I, I thought about this a little bit. And even in the prayer room tonight, God spoke to my heart about his will. And his will will come true here on earth as it is in heaven. It's as simple as that. And the other thing we know that Rob teaches us and all the pastors here do that we need to know the bad news before we get the good news because Jesus is the good news and we know that from this, this worship that we just did. But how would you like to go up to somebody and say, would you like to be saved? The first thing they're going to do is say, saved from what? What do I need to be saved for? I'm doing fine. Got up this morning, had my breakfast, went to work, made a little money. So you're fine. What do we have to be saved for? So I think that's probably the good important part of this scripture here in Romans. As Paul gives us the bad news first. He tells us in the beginning, look, God's going to save us. But here's what he's going to save us from. This is what we are. This is who we are. So pay attention. And that's what Paul tells us, to pay attention. That's why I like to call the book of Romans, uh, it's, it's actually, uh, you know, a document for us and, and, and that helps us along. Every time we feel that we think we've got a handle on everything, we have to go back and read the first couple chapters of Romans to know that that's where we stand and that's where we will stand until we see Jesus face to face. And the word that I was looking for is constitution. It's actually a Christian constitution, the book of Romans is. The Gospels are probably the, the best in the world, but Romans teaches us the constitution on how we should really live, how we were living and how we're living now. <clears throat> so Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, Paul's writing from Corinth, and when he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.22, he tells them that the Jews seek a sign and the Greeks search for wisdom. But he says, I, I preach the gospel. I preach Christ. But they considered that to be foolish. And we know as Christians that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. So Paul, that's why Paul followed up by saying, 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Been there to all that other stuff and done that. Didn't do a thing for me. Made me an enemy of God. And then he goes on and he, Paul says that he always remembered that he didn't come from a fancy speech, for fancy speech or untold wisdom, but just the gospel of Christ. And my wife even mentioned it to me on the way here tonight. Keep everything simple. Everything needs to be simple and easy. That's the way we learn through Christ. It can't be confusing because he's not confusion. He's order. Paul goes on and he, uh, he, he talks. Uh, Paul was familiar with the Judaizers and their claims that Paul was no longer teaching the law He's pushed aside Moses. He's pushed aside the circumcision, the dietary laws. And Paul's answer to that was he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. That was his simple way of looking at it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So in verse 17, the theme that we talked about last time this was the theme of the book of Romans. Righteousness, what we just sang about, is the foundation of Paul's message in the book of Romans. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, it says. It is the righteousness that God imputes on us in our faith. We can never earn it or deserve it. It is, a, it is given to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. The just shall live by faith. And, re, and really, in actuality, that's the way we should live. We should live by faith right at this point in time. Personally, I can't wait until we see him face to face. Then we don't have to live by faith anymore, and it'll be a lot easier. But right now, we're under his faith. We're under his we're under his power. We're under his faith. <clears throat> In this letter, Paul explains how God is able to declare sinners to be righteous because of Jesus' work on the cross. From faith to faith means this righteousness comes to us from start to finish by faith. So faith is, faith is the operative word right there that it all comes to us through faith. And he gives us that grace through faith. <clears throat> so let's start, let's really talk about this message for tonight. And the message for tonight is not a real good one, but it's something that we need to know about. It's the wrath of God. And how God reveals his wrath. Now he reveals his righteousness through faith. But he's going to tell us that, Paul's going to tell us that he also reveals his wrath. The idea is simply sobering. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against the human race. And the human race deserves the wrath of God. That's an unfortunate but true statement. We deserve it. 
We sometimes object to the idea that wrath, the wrath of God, because we equate it with human anger. And we compare that sometimes with human anger, which is motivated by selfish personal reasons or by a desire for revenge. Now, when Jesus was angry in the temple, it wasn't a revengeful anger, but it was a righteous anger. He was righteously angry about what they were doing to his father's house. And that's the way we need to look at God's wrath also. It's a justified, justful, anger, uh, justful wrath. We must not forget that the wrath of God is completely righteous in character. So that's his character, his righteousness. In this portion of the letter, Romans 1, 18 through chapter 3, 20, Paul's goal is not to proclaim the good news, but to demonstrate the absolute necessity of the good news of salvation for God's righteous wrath. So he's showing us that, look, you're in in bad shape, but God's taking care of it. So you have to know him in order to relinquish that wrath on you as a human being. It says human race. It doesn't say any particular part of the human race. It's the human race. We've all gone wrong. We've gone astray. So the wrath of God is not revealed in the gospel, but in the facts of human experiences. Let me read that again. The wrath of God is not revealed in the gospel, but in the facts of the human experience. Paul now makes a case and why the human race is guilty before God. He lists demonstrations of our ungodliness and unrighteousness. And what I want you to do is I want you to really think about going into this portion of Scripture as not an attack on homosexuals. It specifically explains homosexuals. But Paul also fills in the rest with all the rest of the sins that are out there, including ours. So we always look at sin of others and say, oh boy, that's bad. I would never do that. You wouldn't do that, but what do you do? Okay, we're human beings. The wrath of God is shown through human experience. Okay, that's all of us. That's all of us included. So let's look at the word, and we'll start in, chapter, in uh, verse 18. <clears throat> and I'm going to initially go from uh, verse 18 to verse 23. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who suppress the truth of unrighteous the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of god is manifest in them remember that what is known of god is manifested in us for god has shown it to them 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Can you make sense of that? Invisible attributes clearly seen. Okay. And we'll get to that later. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but because fruitful in their thoughts, futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And for some reason, every time I hear somebody's heart being darkened, I think about the example of Pharaoh in the Old Testament. And, you know, and we were always taught that God didn't harden his heart, he hardened his own heart, and he did progressively. So that gives us that power that we can harden our hearts, no matter what. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creepy things. And when I hear that statement, I also think of the Old Testament and how the Israelites made that golden calf to be a god. And for the most of the time during the Old Testament, and it, it's, it's really, really interesting because I'm going through First Kings right now on the radio, and I'm learning a lot about how they used idols, and they used animals as idols as they went along, which is really kind of odd. But that's what we do as human beings. So verse 18 and 19, the ungodliness refers to man's offenses against God. The ungodliness is our offenses against God. That's the first four commandments. The unrighteousness refers to the sins of man against man. That's the last, or the sixth, the last six commandments. So God has it specifically broken up for us. So he's addressing the ungodliness, which is against himself, and the unrighteousness, which is against our brothers and sisters, or our neighbors. <clears throat> He talks about who suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. And mankind does, in fact, suppress the truth of God. Every truth revealed to man by God has been fought against, disregarded, and deliberately obscured. And we all know that. We see that every single day on the news and what goes on around the world. Uh, one real specific example I remember is when we went to Israel a long time ago. And we went to Caesarea on the Sea, which was a vacation place for, for Caesar. And on that, in that area next to the ocean or next to the sea, there was a plaque that had Pilate's name on it. And that was discovered, but prior to that being discovered, 
everybody downgraded the Bible because it mentioned Pontius Pilate as governor and there was no written record in Israel that they could find that supported Pontius Pilate as governor until they discovered this plaque that was underground. And uh, that plaque is standing nowadays over there with Pontius Pilate's name on it. So God gives us the opportunity to believe and we don't believe, a lot of us. We don't understand. So verse 20 says, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Invisible attributes. Now, what could that be? We all know that we could go out at night, we can look at the stars and do all that, but it goes even deeper than that. Um, God shows us something of his eternal power and divine nature through creation by the things that are made. He has given a general revelation that is obvious. Those things are obvious to us. And now as we're saved, it's even more obvious to us because it's opened up even more to us. Both creation and within the mind and hearts of man. However, in Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And really what it's saying is we are his workmanship, we're his poema, the word is. We are his poetry. He is his expression, okay? God's expression is Jesus Christ in the flesh. That's his expression. God then turned that over to us. When he died for us, he gave us the ability to believe in him and become his expression. We're his expression. If you're saved, okay, from all of this wrath that we're going to talk about, if you're saved and you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, we are expressing him. And the Bible tells it very specifically in a lot of different areas. We're his ambassador. He lights the world through us. So we are his poema. We are his poetry. And that's what makes it so important that we be saved. Because then we're his eyes and ears on, on earth here. Not that he couldn't do it himself. But he loves us and he wants to do that through us. We are his message to the lost world because he took sinners and made them new creations. So we're new creations and we're supposed to show everybody else that we're new creations by our actions, by our talk, and by who we hang around with. It's as simple as that. You know, I can tell you that uh, when I go away, uh, to Connecticut to teach. I teach uh, police how to talk to themselves, talk to people. And that's something that they have to learn nowadays. <laughs> but after a whole week of being there and hanging around with that old element that I used to work with, it's very difficult. I mean, I have to go to the room every night and I have to get on my hands and knees, and I really do. I get on my hands and knees and I pray to God not for any of that to settle in my heart, 
because I just don't want to go there anymore. I don't want to be there. And it's really easy for us to backslide and to go back to that life that we used to live. It's very easy to do that. But praise the Lord, if we continue to abide in him, Jesus won't allow us to do that. And that's a good thing. So we are his poema, his poetry. There is no order, and we have to remember this, with all of this, there is no order without his order. I early, earlier mentioned he's in order. Everything should be in order. You can't have creation without the creator. The argument of evolution isn't valid. It's not valid. I mean, we were, we were just, my wife and I were just talking about this and with some friends the other day. It's just, it's just, there is no Big Bang Theory, <laughs> okay? Maybe a Big Bang could have, could have made up something that, you know, we can blow up something and make it look different, but it's not going to create anything. It's as simple as that. Um, I've seen bombs go off and, and make things different and make chaos, but it's never made orderly. God makes the order. Evolutionists argue God right out of the picture because of accountability. And I think that's the biggest thing. No one wants to be accountable to anyone. And I, and I guess I, I really and truly, studying about this, know that now that statement is true, that atheists work harder at not believing in God than, than what we do in believing in God. And that, that's really really kind of odd, but that's the way it is. I mean, I, I believe God made it that way just to get them and their hearts to come over to his side. But some examples of that show the creator's ability. Uh, and I got three examples here that I'm going to expound on a little bit. The first one is DNA. Who would ever think that we all had different DNA? Now, I... I in my earlier years, I understood fingerprints and stuff like that. But DNA is just amazing. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. I mean, they have taken so many old police cases and wrongs against people and, and fixed them with DNA. It, it, it's, that, that's just a... And that DNA doesn't come from a big bang, trust me. We all have different DNA. And it, it's just amazing. The eye, I was, I was talking to a, uh, one of our brother, brothers in Christ from the church here the other day, and he's an eye doctor. And uh, he told me that the retina has thousands and thousands of, of uh, nerve endings in the retina. You would, ever, you would never even imagine that. But the, but the, the issue here is, the eye takes the picture, but the picture has to go somewhere. And it goes into our computer, into our brain, so that you can remember what you saw. And if you, if you pray at night, I, I pray at night for my family, my wife, my kids, and I can see them in a picture that I just saw, or that I just saw them a little while ago. I can see them in my brain. So the eye takes the picture, and the picture is 
pasted on your brain somehow. I mean, how do you, how do, how's that happen? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just amazing. And again, that can't come from a big bang. Okay? And the lastly here, our body structure and how it works, all works together. One part goes off and we know that it probably throws off a couple other things. And, and that's just the way it is. That's the way he made us. <clears throat> so as we go on here in verse 20, God says we have all of these signs around us. But he, and he tells us that we have no excuse. There is no excuse not to know God. Even, in, even for that person that lives on that island that doesn't have a Bible, there's no excuse for them. There really isn't any excuse. And I, me, myself, I used to have a soft heart for some of these people thinking, you know, maybe they didn't ever read the Bible. Maybe they, nobody ever told them. There's no excuse. And he tells us that. But some just don't understand, and others won't understand. They don't want to. If you really want to know about it, you can find out about it. But if you don't, you just don't. It's as simple as that. David wrote in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Everyone has an internal mechanism that tells us of God and his existence. He placed that in us. If we don't accept that and if we don't go after it and try to understand it, then that's just our own fault because there is no excuse, and he tells us that. Verse 21 tells us, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. The problem is not that man did not know God, but that they didn't, they didn't, uh, they didn't glorify him as God, yet refused to glorify him. Therefore, mankind is without excuse. Instead of glorifying God, we transformed our idea of him into forms and images more comfortable to, or more comfortable to our corrupt and darkened hearts. And that's one thing we have to be, uh, be careful of. It is absolutely essential that we constantly compare our own conception of God against the reality of who God is as revealed in his word. So we want to know the image and likeness of God. We need to go to his word. Not to a picture. Not to one of these other churches that proclaim all these different statues and figures and all that type of thing. We can be really, we have to be really careful in how we Im imagine who God is and what he is. He's not just an old man sitting up on a, a throne up they're waiting for one of us to do something wrong. It's, it's more than that. It's, it's spiritual. It's, in, it's, in, it's, an, it's an inner deep feeling of what he is. And that, that's what really culminates that. In Romans 1.23 is an ancient Greek word, ikon, E-I-K-O-N. This word is a dangerous thing to change the glory and the incorruptible God into an icon or image. That word is ours is image of your own choosing. 
okay? People make God into an image of their own choosing. And that automatically becomes idolatry. And he didn't, he, didn't, uh, he, he didn't express that way to us. He told us that we couldn't see him and who he was. But he gave us an example in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's as simple as that. And people always just make that a little bit more than they should have. So, so even though they knew God, they didn't acknowledge him. They're not thankful to him, which they should be. They didn't relate to him. And they became futile or futile. Now I looked that word up, futile, and the meaning of that word is incapable of producing any useful result. You're incapable of coming up with anything that's worthwhile. Okay, Isaiah 6, 9 through 10 says, and this is for the people that just don't understand and don't want to, And he said, God said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Now you might say that that's probably an out, which it is. We return to God, he'll heal us. But if they don't believe in God and they push them aside in the first place, who are they going to return to? So he's telling Isaiah here, just go tell them, look, if they don't understand and they don't want to understand, then don't bother. Don't bother. Because he gives us up to what we really want. That's how merciful he is. If we really don't want to know him or don't want to be involved with him, then he'll allow that to happen. And it will happen. And they turn their hearts dark. In Genesis 3, verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It was God's practice before sin. He wants to communicate with us. That's why we're here. That's why he made us. He wants to communicate with us. To communicate with our creator. To have a relationship with him. To acknowledge him. And to glorify him. That's it. He didn't ask us to give blood. He didn't ask us to go to a cross. He didn't ask us to give up everything in life, okay? Although we should. He didn't ask us to do that. He asked us to acknowledge him. And he asked us to communicate with him. And the more we communicate with him, and the more he communicates with us, the more we'll give up and just concentrate on him alone. And that's the biggest thing. 
not because he's lonely. He didn't tell us all these things because he's lonely or he's sad, okay? But because he loves us. He loves us. That's why he sent his son to make everything that was wrong right. He loves us. We are all important to him, all of us. We're his children. If we're saved, we're his children. But his whole creation is important to him and everything that they do. We're all important to him. So don't you dare ever stand in front of the mirror and think that you're not important to God. So he don't care about that, and he don't care about the mirror. He just assumed break the mirror because he sees us through his son's blood, and that's the most important part. So don't think you're not important. Verses 23, uh, 22 and 23, professing to be wise, they became fools. Our rejection of God's general relation, or, uh, I'm sorry, revelation, does not make us smarter or better. Instead, it makes mankind futile, futile in their thoughts, which was they produce they don't produce any useful result. Makes us futile in their thoughts and makes our foolish hearts darken. And we become fools. The Greek word here, the way it's used, is moreno. M-O-R-E-N-O. And that word is translated to our word, moron. So it makes us morons, foolish or morons. This darkening of our hearts and folly must be seen as one example of God's righteous wrath against those who reject what he reveals. So the darker our hearts grow is the way his wrath is placed on us because he walks away from us. And that becomes worse. And again, what the good example of that is Pharaoh. Pharaoh said no, 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 and it continued to hit, you know, to hit home with him. There were consequences to those no's. You know, I was watching uh, Dr. Charles Stanley's uh, memorial service. They made up a video, and uh, he explained on that video how his grandfather uh, influenced his thinking, his Christian thinking. And his grandfather told him, if you look at, if you look at a picture of, of Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel's concentrating on God instead of the lions. He's looking at God. And the other thing he told him was, obey God and leave all the consequences to him. And, and I just love that because I think about that every day. You know, you, as long as I have, as long I, all I have to do is obey, and he's going to take care of everything else. I don't have to worry about what's going to happen, even if it's in the midst of problems and troubles. And Rob was right, Pastor Rob was right this morning about we've all been through that stuff. And we have to just obey him. 
and just worry about the consequences. Let him worry about the consequences. And we know he's perfect, so the consequences are going to be perfect. It's as simple as that. <clears throat> so the Greek word um, morano is, moron, is a moron. The darkness, the darkening of the heart and the folly must be seen as one example of God's righteous wrath against those who reject what he reveals. Part of his judgment against us is allowing us to suffer the damage of our sinful course that leads that it leads to. I got and I have to tell you that I haven't made the best decisions in the world in my life. Um, if I could go back, I'd probably have to redo the whole thing. <laughs> but the most of us do that. If we make decisions without God's involvement, and that's what my problem was in the beginning, because I wasn't saved, I wasn't looking to our Savior to help me with our decision, my decisions. Um, it was only after, only after is when, after I was saved, that I even thought about going to God. Uh, you know, one of my first major decisions was to be married. And look what he gave me. He gave me a jewel, a diamond in the rough, okay? <laughs> and, you know, that, that was just clear that any decisions that we have to make, even the little ones, are very important to say, Jesus, okay, what do I do now? What would you do? What would Jesus do? I mean, that's a kind of a, a cliche, but it works, what would you do, Jesus, in this situation? So we have to look at that and what we do. Those people that with, without Jesus, they'll just never get it right. It's as simple as that. They'll never get it right. Verse 23, and, it, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image uh, made like corruptible man. In the context, they changed God's glory means to remember, remove something and replace it with something else. So they remove God, they remove his glory and they replace it with something else. That doesn't just, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, I know it doesn't make sense to us because we're saved and we have Jesus, but it, it just doesn't make any sense at all. To other people, it makes a lot of sense. To our school system, to our government, that all that stuff makes a lot of sense. Remove God and do, it, do what we want to do with it, okay? But it's never going to go away. When Paul walked through Athens in Acts 17, he was grieved. He was grieved because he saw the potential for worship in human, in human beings, but they were directing it the wrong way. They were just totally directing it the wrong way. And he was grieved about that because he saw that potential of worship. And they worshiped. Uh, they, <clears throat> they not just became uh, worshiped idols, but he saw a man's potential to worship. They, in fact, changed God's glory into gods like Zeus, Athena, Apollos, Apollo, Arte Artemis, Ares, 
It's just bizarre. They had gods for every little thing. And Paul was grieved by that. So we need to be careful of what we may believe God's image is. We should stay away from man-made images of God that may not fit. Okay? Although Jesus didn't give a description, total description of himself in the Bible, I know it gives us a a little bit of a description in in, uh, Daniel and in... uh, Revelation. But the fact of the matter is, is those descriptions don't fill our fullness sometimes. And we always look to the blonde haired, blue eyed guy that just got off the cross, okay, or is going to the cross or just resurrected from the dead and all that type of thing from movies and and, in actuality from other religions, okay. That's why God didn't want religion. He wanted relationship. He wants relationship. He doesn't want us to go astray that way. He wants relationship with us so he can show us who he is and what he does. I don't have to see, I don't really have to know what he looks like. I know what he's like and I know a little bit of his character as much as I can know at this point in time. But I know he's there for me. And I know he loves me. That's all I need to know. That's all I care about. The almighty God of the universe that made the universe, that made each one of us, loves me. <laughs> I still can't put my head around that sometimes. He loves me. And he loves each one of us, specifically and personally. No matter what, who we are or what we do. The word uncleanness in the New Testament refers to refers only to sexual lust and demonic activity, the lust of their hearts. And in this part of the scripture that we're going to read next, God gives us up three separate times. And this is so important that Paul writes about it three different times. Okay? In verse 24, it says, therefore God also gave them up. Okay? We're going to start in in verse 24, and I'm going to go to the end of the chapter here. And it says in in verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, not a lie, the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now that's, that's number one. He gave us up for, his un, for our uncleanliness. And he gave this up in verse 26. It says, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. That's number two. Vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful 
and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So, as he talks about this, he talks about the shameful, the shameful end of it, number one, that God's give them up to this passion. And then he talks about receiving themselves the penalty. Okay? It doesn't say that God penalized them. They receive their own penalty of the error of which they're due. And I'll talk about the penalties in a minute. Verse 28 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. That's number three. Okay, God gave them over to their debased mind. <clears throat> and we'll talk a little bit about debased minds. <clears throat> to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So Paul gives a whole litany and a list of other sins here that coincide with being a homosexual. Okay? They're all the same. As a matter of fact, in James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of them all. So we're just as guilty as they are. That's why everybody tells us all the time, we have to pray for them, we have to pray for them. Yeah, we do. We have to pray for each other too. Because we're open to all of this stuff. There's no getting around it. We have that human nature. We're open to it all. So verse 24 says, Therefore God also gave them up. That's the first gave them up. In his righteous wrath and judgment, God gives man up to the sin of our, uh, our evil heart's desires. Okay? Allowing us to experience the self-destruction result of sin. One of God's wrath on us, one of God's wraths on us is the result of our sin. Our consequence, the consequences to our sin. That's why I always try to stay in tune with the Bible, but yet again, I always try to say to myself, obey and keep the let the consequences, you know, let, leave the consequences to God. He'll arrange it and he'll deal with it. But we need to obey. And if we obey, 
there is no excuse. I mean, and then there's no way that we're going to sin outside of the realm. Now, he talks about this, all these sins as a practice. And I'll talk about that later. But if we practice these things, we will not see the kingdom of God. Practicing, from what I learned, is a constant, constant over and over and over the same, the same sin. Uh, take, for example, somebody with, uh, with pornographic material. That's an over and over and over thing. If they, it's, it's, a, it's an addiction that they can't get rid of. And, and that's what God doesn't want. God doesn't want that addiction. He doesn't want that addiction. He wants us to come to him with that. <laughs> you know, from what I've learned, any addiction is unbreakable until you go to Jesus. You need Jesus for it all. It's never going to go away. It's as simple as that. I mean, I really haven't been addicted to much in my life. I was addicted to cigarettes at one time. And I know I had to get rid of them. The only way I can do it is going to Jesus. And he did. He got rid of it for me. And I was so thankful. <clears throat> and, and again, the, the word uncleanness in the New Testament refers only to sexual lust and demonic activity. And that was pretty interesting to me because that uncleanness is used a lot in the New Testament. The lust of their heart. It starts in the heart that's another thing I learned along the way. Everything is based on the heart, not the mind. Based on the heart. Jer Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God knows it. That's why we need him. Jesus knows our heart. That's why we need him. That's why we need to abide in him every single day. Because we can go wrong real quick. We, we can just jump. We can, we can fall off the wagon so fast, it'll make your head spin. We're all sinners. We're all used to that. No matter what. That's the way we were brought up. <clears throat> Psalm, eight, Psalm 81, 12 says, So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. And that's really true. That's really true. You know, if we, if we don't seek him, we're just going to fall back right into it. And there's a whole list of them right here. Between verses 28 and 32, there's a whole list of sins that we can fall back into. Verse 25 says, who exchanged, who exchanged the truth for, uh, of God for the lie? We talked about the lie. In every rebellion and disobedience against God, we exchange the truth of God for the lie of our own choosing and set the creature before the creator. In Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5, it says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of that fruit of it, 
your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And that's the lie. And it involves not only the lie, but also idolatry. Because you become your own God. It's as simple as that. So Paul uses the definite article, and it's not a lie, but the lie. So every time we act that way, we subscribe to the lie. <clears throat> the lie is essentially idolatry, which puts us in the place of God. It is the lie in Genesis 3-5 that says, you will be like God. So that's the lie. And every time we sin, that's what happens. And we need to think about that. Every time before we sin, we need to think about that. Oh, this, this really is nothing. So, uh, yeah, so I cursed at that guy on the road. Yeah, so what? Big deal, okay? It's a sin. It's a lie. It's the lie. It's subscribing to the lie. Verse 26 and 27, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passion. Paul wrote this from the city of Corinth, where every sort of sexual immorality and ritualistic prostitution was practiced frequently. The terminology of Romans 124 refers to this combination of sexual immorality and idolatrous worship. Again, uncleanness refers to this sexual immorality and idolatry. For even their women exchange a natural use. Paul uses homosexuality. Now he uses this one particular sin because it's a good example for us, but it goes along with all the other sins. Paul uses homosexuality both in the female and the male expression as an example of God giving mankind over to uncleanness and lust. Paul, does, Paul doesn't even use the normal words for men and women in the, in the natural sense here. He uses the words for male and female using categories that describe sexuality outside of human terms because the type of sexual sin he describes is outside of human dignity. Paul categorizes the whole section under the idea of vile passion. Unhealthy, unholy, nevertheless Paul lived in a culture that openly approved of homosexuality. And don't we? Don't we? We can remember a long time ago, it was a little bit shameful for people to be homosexuals. Now it's, it's, it's put on a pedestal by everybody in this country that aren't saved. <clears throat> and it's ridiculous. It should not be. And there are, I've known homosexuals that really, really painfully wanted to stop and, and just be out of it. But they need Jesus. And they all need Jesus, and that's why we're asked to pray for them. Nevertheless, Paul lived in a culture that openly approved this homosexuality. Paul didn't write this to a culture 
that agreed with him. We know how Corinth was, and they just didn't agree about that. The people outside the church, anyway. It was told to us in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 18.22, it says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And again, in Leviticus 20.13, If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them are committed and have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. And that's what that was back then. It was a death penalty, a death sentence. There should be blood, there shall, their, their blood shall be upon them. Now that wasn't only true back then, but even it is now, but spiritually. Okay? They're dead spiritually, there's no doubt about it. And, they, and they'll, there'll be ramifications for their actions. <clears throat> their blood shall be upon them. God's serious about this. Against nature refers to the Greek word schema, which is our word for schematic. Okay? Uh, right now we're, we're, we're drawing schematics of, of the school and redoing some of the security things in the, in the church and that. <clears throat> and that's, that's what we're going to follow. Well, God made us a schematic too in life. And that's what we need to follow. And they're just not following it. Um, <clears throat> that includes homosexuality and all other sins also. We should not judge others as we are all sinners. All sin is against God. All sexual sin is against God. No matter what it is, even if it's heterosexual, if you're not married, it's against the God's, it's God's law. It's a sin. It's as simple as that. In modern culture, homosexual practice reflects the, ab the abandonment of giving them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. According to the United States Department of Health and Human Services, 77% of homosexuals say they have met sexual partners in city parks, 62% homosexuals in bars, 61% in theaters, 31% in public restrooms. Only 28 of homosexuals said they, they were their partners for at least a week before participating in homosexual sex. Those are some statistics. 500 or more sexual partners, they say that 98% of them have attest to having 500 or more sexual partners for their lifetime, within their lifetime. Only 1% of homosexuals say they have four or less sexual partners in their lifetime. Okay, so it, it's, it's actually run rapid since the beginning. <clears throat> we know it's been there since Sodom and Gomorrah 
and, and all that. But there's an additional thing that we worry about nowadays, and that's the additional sin against the nature of creation, and that's transgenderism. Transgenderism is a slap in the face to the good Lord. He created us the way we are, period, for a reason. And there's always a reason why God makes us and a reason why he makes us the way we are. He never makes a mistake. He didn't make a boy a girl and uh, made a mistake. Oh, this one's a mistake. I got to transform this one. No, nothing's a mistake. But we are beginning to see our society trying to prey on little ones to change their to, to change their change their gender. We see how changing God's creation now can cause major health poor, health problems. Okay, these 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 kids that are are transforming or transgendering become sick later on. They can't they can't bear babies anymore. Um, or they can't do the things that they would normally do in their own gender. It's just, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. And I, I did a little research about this, and there 80% of those kids or those people that transgender into a different gender, uh, they try to go back again, 80% of them. And it's, it's almost a mistake. It's a mistake that they'll never erase from their life. Their life will never be the same. Simple as that. 80%. I was really kind of blown away by that, that marker. Detransitioning, de-trans, they call it. And that 80% of them try to go back. And they just can't. Sometimes it is a penalty of disease, which is a consequence of violating, na- uh, violating nature's order, God's order. Sometimes it's a penalty of rebellion, resulting in spiritual emptiness and all its ramifications. Uh, when we went to the school conference and, and Pastor Mark knows what I'm talking about here. They showed us a video of a woman that was trying to transform back into a woman. And her health was just just terrible. It was ruined. And her psyche, her social psyche was just just out of control. She just had she had no direction in life. She had no direction in life. And all she relies on now is to putting her progress on YouTube and making YouTube videos about her progress and trying to get the word out to everybody else that thinks about it, not to do it. I mean, that's a godsend in itself. But what about her? Her, What about her life? Her life is ruined because of that. Because we mess with creation. That's not good. It's simply not good. Verse 28 to 32 As future judgment, God gives man over to his debased mind so that things that are disgraceful and sickening are readily accepted and approved. Go home and watch the news tonight. Any news. Doesn't matter. Fox News is on my 
hate list now. But, <laughs> but watch it. Watch any of it, and that's what you're going to see. You're going to see those, those uh, lists, that list of all those sins, and it's going to be prevalent in your face and what, what's going on in this country. A debased mind. Our rebellion against God is not only displayed in our actions, but in our thinking. We are genuinely, spiritually insane in our rebellion against God. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And that's just what's happening. People are calling evil good and good evil. And not just regular people on the street. It's, it's our people that are in charge. And I'm, I'm not too sure if it would be that way if, you know, the, the other side was in charge too. I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, nobody's sure. The only thing, I, there's one thing that's sure, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's what we can rely on. That's the only thing that's true. Uh, and again, Paul doesn't stop at homosexuality. He continues on with all the rest of the sins. The good news is God gives us an out to all of this. And we go over this time and time again. And we're going we're gonna to take communion tonight. So I'm going I'm to close now and ask the uh, worship team to come up. But uh, in Psalm 102, 19 through 20 says, For he looked down from the height of his sanctuary, from heaven, the Lord viewed the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoners, to release those appointed to death. So we know we're all appointed to death, and we know how to get out of it. And that's what will happen. So if I ask you to uh, come up here and get the, uh, the elements while the worship team worships for us. The night when he was taken, he had supper with his apostles. And it was a Passover meal. And little did they know that he was actually showing a picture of his death and resurrection. He took bread and he broke it up and he gave it to them and he said, Take this and eat it. This is my body which I'll be given up for you. And he asked us to do this in memory of him. And so we do, and we remember him and what he did. Let's partake. After that, he took the cup, and he told them that this is the new covenant. This is his blood blood he's going to give for his new covenant the old covenant was all over and he was going to give us a new one and the new one proves to be our salvation that he washes us with that blood and makes us able to be accepted by his father and he asked them to drink the cup of their salvation. Let's partake. Lord, we thank you so much for what you did for us. That you showed us tonight that uh, God's wrath could be something 
that we need to be aware of. But we know that you took us away from that through your blood, your crucifixion, and your resurrection, Lord. You give us the right to have the ability to have hope in you so that when we leave this earth, we will be with you forever. And again, Lord, if you've done nothing else for us in our life but saved us from ourselves, we thank you for that. And we really, really, really love you, Lord. Yes, we do. I pray for my brothers and sisters here and those that are in our congregation, Lord, that you bless them abundantly with your presence, your guidance, and your love. Help them to know that you are there, Lord, in times of bad and even in times of good, Lord, so that we know that you have a handle on everything. We thank you and we love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, you've uh, always been more than enough. There's no other place that we need to search for, Lord. And, and so thank you, Lord, for being our all in all. Lord, uh, so blessed, so thankful, Lord. Would you, Lord, just encourage our hearts tonight as we consider the things we read tonight. And Father, um, help us w- with these kinds of understandings of what you have written long ago and to see them very front and center in our culture, Lord. Help us, uh, instead of being hateful, Lord, uh, being truthful, but also being loving, God, that we can speak the truth in love, and it's still considered hate, perhaps, by our culture. But, Lord, you've called us to speak the truth in love, and help us to do that. And, uh, Lord, we thank you for your love for us, too. And uh, pray that you'd be blessed, Lord, and that you'd encourage our hearts tonight. Get us home safely. And awaken us early tomorrow, Lord, that we might spend that time with you and refresh us tonight, Lord, and order our steps for tomorrow. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great night.